love to hear his love show here right now. Yeah, his love is still here, guys. Are you sensitive to that? Do you feel that right now? Oh, thank you, Jesus. We thank you. Can we thank him? Let's all thank him. Let's not stop yet. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, bring your rain, Lord. Living waters flow in this place, Jesus. Prince of peace, come. Cover us with your living waters, God. Would you come? Would you come more? Thank you for how you meet us, Lord, and worship God. But you want to do that more right now, Lord, more. Fill every person in this place. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Fill, fill, fill more living water. We need you, God. We need you, Lord. We're here for you tonight, Lord. Many of us are here expectant. I feel it. Many of us are expectant for more, for a new filling. Some are here for healing. Some are here to receive gifts tonight. And that's why we're here. We're here for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost to come on you in power and in might. And that you would be able to, to know God's will. That you would be able to, to operate in God's will and in the gifts that he wants for you. Thank you, Jesus. Just come and fill us, Lord. Come and fill our hearts, Lord. God, you've been doing a work here the last few days, and, and we are so grateful for all that you have done. But we want more, God. We're hungry. We want everything that you have for us, God. We don't want to stop receiving from you until the day you call us home. And then we want to hear, good and faithful servant, welcome. Welcome into the kingdom, and we'll cast our crowns before you, Jesus. But until then, we're here, and, and we need your Holy Spirit. Because, Jesus, we praise you while you're in heaven at the right hand, and we praise you for everything that you did. But we need your Holy Spirit. And we're here on earth, and we need the Holy Spirit to, to manifest in our hearts and to operate and to bring us closer. How many of you guys have said in the last few weeks, Holy Spirit, you're my Lord? How many of you guys have felt the lordship of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit is Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, freedom. That's what we're doing tonight. We're setting the captives free. We're opening blind eyes, right? We're going to bringing the gospel to the poor. And it's, it's, it's only going to happen through his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Do we want it, right? Are we willing to, to go after it with everything? Are we willing to seek it? I know many of you here have been. I know many of you have been praying. But we need to believe for it. We need to believe God's word. It's all here. It's all here. It's in his word. Luke 24, 49. And behold, we got to behold it, guys. Right? When you see behold in the Bible, something amazing's about to happen. Something just completely earth-shattering, something that's going to rock your world that's never going to be the same. So, and behold, behold him. I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised. Thank you, Jesus. Has he ever let you down? Will he ever let you down? I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised. Oh, God, make that real in our hearts. May we believe you with all your being. We would behold that. 
The Father is going to send Holy Spirit tonight. The Father is going to send Holy Spirit in a new way for some and in a refilling for others. Jesus goes on, but remain in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Speaking to his disciples, he told them to go, right? After, after they had all witnessed him go to the cross, after they all had witnessed him be resurrected, and then they're seeing him, he's just ascended into heaven. And he's leaving them with this, go wait in Jerusalem. I mean, uh, behold, oh, uh, you just floated into the sky, Lord. Um, yeah, I think I better listen to what you tell me to do. We've been doing it for three days. Imagine doing it for 10 days, right? Brother Glenn blessed us with the Smith Wigglesworth book, and he had a simple saying, right? We need to keep it simple, right? God's word said it, I believe it, and that sells it. We're done. We can all go home with the Holy Spirit, and we can heal and set people free, and we can do the miracles that he wants us to do. We can bring the, the, the lost and outreach um, over at Meadowview. We can bring them Jesus. Remain in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They obeyed. They were praying. They were waiting, just like we've been seeking and doing. Right? Oh, it blessed, I'm sure, all of our hearts today to see the humility being poured out at the end of service today. Right? That one accord that Paul talks about, that humility in Philippians 2, we, we, uh, we got a taste of it today, guys. Our hearts are getting more positioned for this, that he wants to continue to pour it out. He wants to continue to do amazing things through all of us, through every single one here. And the only thing that's hindering you is your unbelief. That's the only thing. We see this unity, right? We see Jesus talking and he's saying, hey, I'm going to send forth what? He's going to send forth Holy Spirit from the Father, right? They're always working together. Just like God's attributes, there, there's never one more than another. Father, Son, and, and Spirit are working together since the beginning, right? The first verse of the first verse of the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit was hovering over the waters, right? That's who we meet first when we come to His Word. In, in Jesus' birth, right? Holy Spirit came upon Mary. So Holy Spirit, in a way, is Jesus' Father, kind of. You know, they're always doing this stuff together in complete unity. And it's amazing. We're going to see more of that. And it's it's done for what? It's done for all of humanity. This gospel was never just meant for one group of people. This gospel was meant to go out into the world and, and to touch everybody's lives. Ever since Abraham got the covenant, right? He's going to send them out and it was going to be for all nations. All nations, guys. It's not just for one group of people. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not just for old. It's not just for young. It's not just for then, but it's for now as well, right? It covers everything until Jesus comes back. So this is what he's given us. This is what he's given us. And after Pentecost, we see these disciples who were, were cowardly when Jesus was crucified. They ran. They, they weren't there, but after they received this Holy Ghost, we see power now. We see boldness come into them, right? Oh, Lord, thank you, God. Acts 2, 16 through 21, 
But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's the power, guys. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters in the room? Yeah, even the young ones. This is for you tonight. Oh, please, Jesus, touch the little ones. Touch their hearts. Oh, you're precious, guys. You guys know my little, my little brother Joseph, man. And the way that God has worked in his life through you guys, through Holy Spirit in you guys to touch him has just been amazing. That's a miracle, guys, that a little boy that feels all alone now has a sense of family. How many little 12-year-old boys want to come on a visit with some dude who's like, I'm going to take you to church for six hours? <laughs> How many? God set it up, right? Provenient grace we talked about. God was setting that kid up, man. And through all the hardship and through all the struggles, look what he's got now. He's got all of us. He's got the word of God. He's got Jesus. He's got, he's got some power. Now he's got something to turn to. He didn't have anything to turn to before. He turned to the world. He'd bang his head into the wall. God, have mercy. He doesn't do that anymore. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit is freeing that boy. And everyone that's here that knows him is a part of that. So don't think that you can't be used. Don't think that this isn't for you. Oh, praise God. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. We believe that tonight. Your young men shall see visions. Lord, there's so many young men in this room who have dreams, who are being spoken to, who are wondering, where, where is God calling me? What's, what's going on? How do I know where to, where to go? How, how will I know? Well, God's your source, right? We heard that earlier. God is the source of everything. The Holy Spirit is the source that you need to go to in your, in your time alone with God. That's got to be a priority. Why wouldn't you want to talk to the creator? Oh, we should run to him. We should long. You want to know what's going on? You're confused. You're worried. Go to the creator. Speak with him. Fellowship with him. Sup with him. Just long to be with him rather than just putting it aside or being so confused. You're just, oh, I just need a break. No, you need to get with Jesus. You need to get with Holy Spirit. He's your Lord. The old men shall dream dreams. We've got, oh, I, I'm so grateful, and I'm not calling you an old man, but I love you, Jeff. I love you, Glenn. I love the wisdom. I, I'm so blessed by you guys, you know, that I could come through everything, that all of us, all the guys here that have been at this church for a little while, that, that we have elders who are dreaming dreams for this community. They're dreaming dreams for the kingdom of God to manifest. For, for drug addicts to get set free, for homeless people to, to get their lives together, for, for children that are desperate to, to have a sense of belonging. There's so many things, guys, that God wants, and, and we're blessed here. We're so blessed. This church is, is such a, a safe place to, to fellowship, and it's a safe place to grow in the Lord. It's a safe place to, to do the word of God. Where else do you get that? I haven't seen it. I haven't been seeking very long, but... I haven't seen it in the majority of churches I go to. Sadly, you go to a church and you might get a Bible study or a teaching, but when it's over, everybody kind of leaves, right? And we're not talking, definitely not talking about the gifts. You're definitely not being confronted. You're definitely not being, being um, asked to go deeper in the Lord. They're just like, well, we, just, we don't want to scare them away. So, no, this place, guys, 
there is something special God's doing. He's calling his remnant. He's calling us together for a mighty purpose, the kingdom of God. He's calling us all to that, and we have the, the blessed opportunity to do that here. And I'm just so grateful for you guys. Thank you for everything that you've poured into us. It's, it's, the, it's God's love through you. I know it is. On my manservants and on my maidservants, men and women, women in this church. Hey, let's, let's, we want everybody to be engaged. We want everybody to be involved. We should all be praying, right? We should all be active. Let's all speak out. Let's all raise our voice to the Lord. There's beautiful voices in this room. There's, there's beautiful hearts in this room. And I just encourage you all, let's, let's come together more. More. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share. That's what family is. That's what this whole thing is. The spirit is being poured out. It's just incredible. It's so, so for us right now. It's so for us. So I want to talk about, I was reading uh, Jackie Pullinger's autobiography, and there's some amazing things in there. She's an English woman who, who went to China. She felt the call from the Lord, and, and she just went. She had like three days' worth of money. She didn't really know anybody. She knew like her mom's cousin had a friend who was a police officer, and she didn't even remember that. She was just like, I need to go to China. God told me to go to China. And all the missions agencies were like, no, we don't want you. You're a music teacher? No, no, we don't need you. You can't, you can't do what we need over there. So she's like, well, okay, I'll save up my money and I'll buy the slowest boat to China. And she literally did. She went to China on the slowest boat. She didn't even know where she was going to get off. God told her, I'll show you when to get off. So that's faith, right? We talked about faith. And she goes, she gets off, and she doesn't even speak the language. Guys, she's in China, and she's not in, like, the nice place because the missionaries wouldn't take her in. So she goes to China, and she's like, God told me to go to the sick. So she goes to the walled city that's full of gangsters, prostitutes, drug addicts, the worst. And, I mean, there's no sewer. There's, there's streets, and, like, you go in the street, you know, and, and there's, there's not even shanties. They're just literally just building on top of each other. It's, it should be condemned, the whole place. And there's filth, and there's everything, and she's like, this is where God wants me. But she doesn't know the language, and she doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. So she strives in her own effort for three years, and she starts to get tired, right? You ever any been, been tired? You get tired working in ministry? You get tired trying to do it in your own strength? And so nothing's happening. No one's getting saved. She's not seeing any results. She's putting up with these drug dealers and going on. And then these, uh, these missionaries that are there talk to her about the Holy Spirit, and they convince her that she needs it. So they invite her over to her house, and they're like, okay, we're going to pray for you now. And they sit her down, and she, she's funny. She said they had two plates, one with like a plate of oranges and one with like a plate of handkerchiefs. And the oranges for when they were going to celebrate when she spoke in tongues, and then the handkerchief for when she started weeping so she could clean herself up. And she's sitting there, and she's really nervous, and she's like, they've got all this stuff set out for me, and I'm not going to need either. I, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. She's nervous. She's, like, feeling hot. You know what I mean? She's like, they're expecting me to do this, and, and I, I don't know if I can do this. And so she's sitting there, and they're praying with her, and they're, like, in broken English, like, now you speak. Now you speak. Now you speak. Now you speak. 
And she's like, she's sitting there, and it's just uncomfortable, and she's awkward, and her hands are sweating, and she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, I'm just going to open my mouth and say, help me, God. But she opens her mouth, and tongues come out. And she's shocked because it wasn't her. And God downloaded her a heavenly language at that moment. So she, she goes home, and she starts doing it for 15 minutes a day. She starts practicing, right? She's like, okay, Lord. But she's not feeling anything, right? Some of us have gone through that. We're trying stuff. We're praying. We're doing this thing. But we're, we're not feeling it, right? It's dry. Like, okay, God told me to do this. Well, I mean, for her, God told her to go to China. So, I mean, speaking in tongues is not a big deal. She went all the way to China. So, okay, 15 minutes a day, Lord, I'll, I'll speak in tongues. We'll see what happens. Well, six weeks later, she waited, just like the, the disciples waited, right? Wait until power comes. She had to wait six weeks. And then she goes out and she starts saying the same things, you know. She, she figures out a few Chinese statements. Uh, Jesus loves you. These basic things she's telling people. And it works. Why does it work this time? Well, because God brought her the person that was ready, provenient grace. And it was only because she was in the spirit that she was sensitive to it. So are we sensitive? Did, did we, what we just felt wasn't just an emotion. It was the presence of God here, right? So are we sensitive to Holy Spirit? She goes on, and, and these miracles start to happen, and she starts to pull in these kids, and one day they, they trash her whole, her whole room. She's got this beautiful room where she's ministering to the kids and these drug addicts, and these kids come and play ping pong, and she tries to share a little bit about Jesus and tries to sing a song with them, um, but really not much going on. And one day some bad kids come in, and they wreck her whole place. They just totally destroy it. But one of the head gangsters likes her because she's trying to set the drug dealers free or the drug addicts free because the gangsters, the drug addicts aren't any good to the gangsters if they're high. So this gangster thinks he's on her side, and she's like, no, you're not on my side. But anyways, he sends her uh, armed guard, and this armed guard comes in there and, and starts like, just standing there day after day, and she keeps trying to invite him in. One day she invites him in, and, and he actually comes in. She's like, are you ready to come praise God? And she invites him in. His name was uh, Winston, I think. She invites Winston in, a heroin addict, a gangster, completely high, completely unchurched, right? Just, just a thug in the streets, some young thug in the streets of, of China in a walled city. She invites him in. And he starts praising God. He starts singing out of tune really loud. And she says, to my amazement, then he started praying. But he'd never heard anyone pray before in Chinese. He starts praying in Chinese. Then he starts speaking in tongues. He's never heard anyone speak in tongues before. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of this kid. And he speaks in tongues for 30 minutes in front of everybody in this ping pong room. And he's completely, completely freed of heroin addiction. It normally takes three days for someone to come off heroin. 30 minutes of speaking in tongues and God completely healed that boy. Completely done. That's the power we're talking about here, guys. For, for, for guys like Matthew who came in here the other night, you know, a little buzz. That's, that's what Jesus wants. Those are the captives he wants us to set free, guys. So God delights to give good gifts, Right? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about God, our Father. He's the one that wants to give this gift to all of us. Paul, sharing with the Ephesians, right? Uh, the other day, Brother Glenn shared about 
when, when we hear Paul talk with his churches, we're hearing the heart of God. Because Paul loved these churches. He loved them so much. He sacrificed so much to be there. And in Acts 19.2, he says to the Ephesians, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So it was important to Paul. He's going into these churches and making sure. He's, hey, this is great. I found some believers. But did you receive the Holy Spirit? It was important enough that it's right there, right? Remember what Smith said. God said it, right? I believe it. That settles it. There we go. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If not, come on, let's go. Let's do this thing. That's why we're here tonight, right? God gave you his son, right? The love of God, he gave you his son. Most of us in here have accepted his son. Why not? Why would you just leave it out? Why would you take two-thirds? Take the whole thing, right? Unity in the Godhead. That's what he wants. Jesus is, went to the cross with joy on his heart for the joy set before him. Why did he do that? Well, because... He knew something was going to come to us, right? That's how he could have joy with it. That's how he could be obedient. That's why even though he knew it was going to be the hardest thing that he ever had to endure, sweating drops of blood in the garden, pouring out his, his, his body and just, just praying and everybody going against him. I mean, how many times would any of us have been like, okay, that's just too much. I can't, no. You know, the, the, the apostles are running away from me now. Um, they're not getting it. No, I'm, I'm done, you know. No, he didn't do that. The joy set before him. He cared about each and every one of us so much that he went to the cross. Holy Spirit was part of that because he knew that when he went away, right, that we were going to be the ones left. He tells us in John 16. Oh, guys, if, if you haven't been in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 lately, get in there. Woo. Anyways, John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Well, Jesus, no, we don't want you to go away. Don't go away. You're Jesus. But it's to your advantage. Think about if Jesus didn't go away. Let's say Jesus stayed on the world, hypothetically, okay? And, and we had to go see Jesus right now. And you're like, you got a problem. I need to go find Jesus in the flesh. So you hop on a, a plane and you go to Israel. But you get there. You find him because there's 10 million other people around Jesus, right? They're all waiting for Jesus. So it's going to take you some time now to speak to Jesus here on earth, right? If he's still on earth. But no, he tells us, it's to your advantage that I go away. You know why? Because now I can talk to Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for speaking through me right now. I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What should I do next, Holy Spirit? What should I do? And he's going to help me. He's going to tell me. Oh, praise God. For if I do not go away... Here it is, the helper, that's the power. What does a helper do? He adds something to you, right? If a helper detracts from you, do you hire him? No. No, he's sending you the helper for power. But if Jesus doesn't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Thank you, Jesus. There's another promise. God's word said it. I believe it. That settles it. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, oh, Jesus, as if we need more convincing, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. What? Holy Spirit power. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. 
Now we get the body of Christ mobilized for the mission of God. Now we get to go after the lost globally, right? It's so powerful, guys. And this gift is going to bring glory to God. That's the whole point of it. It's not for us just to walk around, right? Like the sorcerer who wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. No, don't go with that. Danger. Don't go with that heart. Come with that humble heart that we had today. Come with that humble heart to receive what God wants to pour out on you. We are in a perishing world. We heard about that a little bit today. But the Spirit is with us. Right? We don't have to fret. We don't have to sit and consume news daily. I got an update from my brother at work the other day. In 60 seconds, he told me about all the election stuff. He told me about everything. I said, okay, that's enough. Thank you. That's enough. I'll talk to you in two months. Give me another 60 seconds. Because I'm doing fine without it. I got this. I got the good news. I don't need any other news. I don't. It's, it's not important. God's going to protect me. God's going to lead me. He's going to guide me. He's going to do whatever I need. If somebody comes up to me and I have the Holy Spirit, I can, I can deal with it at that moment. But all the other stuff there is, is just a, a, an attempt from the enemy to distract you from what's important. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, right? It's all, it's all going to go. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The time is short. We've got to free as many people as possible. We've got to go and run after them. And Jesus tells us, here's John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience, guys. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So Holy Spirit is not only our helper, but he's our helper forever. Right? It hasn't stopped. It's not going to stop until Jesus comes back. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. We all know that that's true, right? We see it. We see the lies. We see the unbelief. We see everything. The spirit of truth cannot be received by the world. That's why we have to go to them and open their eyes so that they can see the truth. That's, I remember when I was there, I, I, didn't, I couldn't see the truth. But by the Lord's mercy and the way he knows each one of us individually, he started drawing me back to him. He used music because he knew I was so into myself that he could do that. He could use music to pull me in and then reveal this greater truth that would spark a curiosity in my heart. It would make me start asking questions. And as I started seeking truth, lo and behold, God started providing answers, right? Holy Spirit. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So this relationship with the Holy Spirit has to be cultivated, right? Husbands and wives, if you guys don't talk to each other, What's going to happen to your marriage? It's going to fall apart, right? You've got to have relationship with the Holy Spirit. And God wants to give you uh, something so intimate that only you and him can understand it, right? That's a blessing right there. That You talk about the secret place. Jesus told you to go in your room and pray in the secret place to get intimate with your father. Well, now you can not only go in the room and somebody walks by and they hear you speaking in English, they understand what you're saying, but now they walk by and they're like, oh, he's in there with God. Like, I'm going to leave him alone a little bit, you know? And God can minister to you 
Holy Spirit can speak through you. Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you out. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to serve? How do you want me to do this? He's going to help you through all that, guys. It's such a blessing. It's incredible. Where did the time go? Jeez. So I'm going to close with this. John 17, if you guys want to turn there with me. Jesus is praying this for us right now. So even if you're still a little skeptical because of his words, just picture Jesus on the right hand of the Father right now. And he's praying that we would know know God better, right? Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. He goes on, keep them safe in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. He wants you to be one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is unbelievable, guys. To be one as they are one? Jesus didn't have to pray out loud. He didn't have to pray this out loud. He did it for us so we could see it. He talked to the Father. He communed with the Father. It just happened. But he spoke things out so that the the Holy Spirit would remind the apostles so that they could write it down so we could have it today. This is precious, guys. Verse 16, 17, 16. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world, and I set myself apart on their behalf, so that they too may be truly set apart. Be holy as he is holy. Allow him to do what he wants to do tonight, guys. Holy Spirit, we worship you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're in our midst. I pray for sensitive, sensitive hearts, God that you would come and inhabit the praises of your people, that you would inhabit the lives, the bodies in these room, all the temples of Holy Spirit that are in this room right now, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, for that, that you would just manifest yourself more tonight, God. Oh, Lord, I pray against the, the enemy's fear, and I ask for your perfect peace to have its way, God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, and Jesus and his and his Holy Spirit, which he sent for us. Thank you, God. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for what Brian shared. Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for his heart, his passion with it, his desire of it for himself and for others. Lord, we just thank you for that. 
pray as we continue to look at your word. Help us to understand and apply these to our life and ready our hearts for what it is that you want to do this evening. In Jesus' name. Well, the verse we've been looking at, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And he brings out the idea of what we're to be anointed to do. So he says, anointed me to first preach good news to the poor. Uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And then to bring a recovery of sight to the blind. On top of that, to release the oppressed. And then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the original prophecy, it has uh, the addition there, which is not an addition. It is the, the full uh, prophecy but also uh, the day of vengeance. And I'm not going to concentrate on that or even deal with it, but it's a very interesting thing when you look at the whole original prophecy. And when you have a prophecy quoted in the New Testament in part, it is going to be the whole that is actually being uh, uh, applied. So even though it may say a part of it, we go back to the original, we see the whole that's there, and we understand that's what God's really wanting to uh, give. So the Spirit of the Lord anoints people for a purpose. And that's really what I'm going to want to deal with for a little bit here is that he has a purpose for your life. Do you understand what that purpose is? Too many Christians just kind of float along. They do their own thing. They're just kind of going along. And they really aren't finding what their purpose is. So there's something terribly lacking in their life as a, re as a result because they don't see, they don't understand that God is literally wanting to do something with them. And so, you know, God doesn't, he's not looking for armchair Christians, you know. I mean, armchair athletes are worthless, right? It's, you, he's looking for people that will actually become people that are involved. And to be involved, we've got to begin to understand what our calling is. And many times to understand our calling, we've got to begin to become involved in the body of Christ. And in our actual involvement in the body of Christ, we begin to understand what God wants to do. And I'm not going to take the time to go into all that, but I just want to look at a couple of thoughts here. Going right to the very beginning, to Genesis, you see God creating. And when he creates something he does at the end of each day, he uses this word in the Hebrew, it's tov. Uh, it can be T-O-V or T-O-B. And what it means is that it's good, I'm well pleased. And when he created man, he went and says, I am very well pleased. And so what was God saying at the end of each day? He says, I am pleased with the work I have done. All right? So what he's really saying, I am pleased with the work I've done. I've done a really good day's work today in creating, in each of those days. Then you come to Genesis chapter 2, and in verses 2 and 3, he says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Three times in that verse, you have the word work presented. God worked, and on the Sabbath, he rested from his work. Then in Genesis chapter 2.15, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to finish his work. Isn't that interesting? So he creates man. And doesn't put them on some little fluffy clouds so they can float around with harps in their hands and do absolutely nothing. So what did he do? He came and he 
created Adam, created Eve, gave them purpose, put them in this, this spot you and I can't even comprehend. I mean, we have no ability to comprehend the garden. So he created them, put them in the garden, and commanded them to work, and they worked in an environment where there was no curse. So all that there was was absolute blessing in the garden. But he created them to work. He created them to do something. It was only after sin entered into the world that people either became workaholics or lazy. It wasn't, in the, it wasn't original. You understand? They worked. It was the joy in the working because through the working, there was joy in that work. There was no, it wasn't the, the slave type of thing. I got to do this. I hate my job. There was total joy in working that garden, in doing what God wanted them to do. And ultimately, the joy came from the relationship because when you read that, they had fellowship with God. It seems as what it says every day as they walked with God in the cool of the day. So they worked the garden, and then they had the time where God would walk in. They could walk and talk with him. It was just this, this life that was meant to have purpose, and the enjoyment of life was ultimately the relationship with God, and then what came through their purpose of what they were to do. Now, sin messed that all up. I mean, sin messed it up big time. And we still suffer under that. And so we don't necessarily look at work as a good thing because now we have to work as, as under the curse. So it's now by the sweat of our brow. And, and things don't always grow the way we want it to. And, you know, you plant flowers and there's the weeds popping up faster than the flowers. And, you know, we have all these dynamics of the curse. But then comes Jesus. And he's speaking something to his disciples that they don't even understand. He's at the, at the well, and he just ministered to the Samaritan woman that goes back into that Samaritan town and tells everybody. So when Jesus comes, revival breaks out. Same type of thing happened when I shared last night about the demoniac. He sends the demoniac into Decapolis, and revival breaks out. And so the disciples come back and, uh, you know, go to give him some food. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So God sent the Son into the world to work. He called him to work. And what was the work that he was given to do? Yes, for a time as, a, as growing up in his home and, and uh, his adopted father taught him carpentry and so Jesus knew what it was who was the creator of wood to work with wood with his human hands then. And so here's this, this God that when his ministry began, God incarnate, that ends up saying, I've got work to do, and I'm here to accomplish that work, and I'm going to finish that work. And what he's going to do, he's going to give that work to the church. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said to those who were persecuting him, to the Pharisees that were harassing him and so on, he says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So here's God, who needs nobody, and he's working. He's still working. He's working right now. He's working in his creation, and I don't know what else he's working at. Our minds can't even wrap around it. We're not even told, and to try and guess is just is going to take us nowhere with it. But this God is working, and it's not slave labor. He doesn't have to. 
He does it out of the abundance, this super abundance of joy inside of him. That it's just this, this pleasure to do it. It's what he wants to do. And it's just this desire to create because he's so full of this joy and this love. And he creates beings that might, might revel in his love, that they might know him. It's his pleasure to do that. And so work is to be a joy. And so he calls us to a work. Now, something that is really interesting, and uh, Brian brought it out. He touched on it right there. When he spoke of the aspect of before Jesus ascended, or let's say as he ascended, the very last thing that Jesus said before he ascended was, go to Jerusalem and tarry till you get power from on high. All right? That's the last thing he said, according to Luke. And as he said it, then he ascends. Now, do you think that message is going to stick in their head? I mean, that's a pretty radical situation there that they see him ascend. Okay, just don't ask me how, okay? God thing, he just ascends into heaven, goes into the clouds, and they're there, everyone, over 500 people saw him, and their mouths gaping open in astonishment. And that last word he spoke, I guarantee, was going to be burned in everyone's mind. Get into Jerusalem and tarry till you get the power. Because I've got to work. Here's the importance of all that I've been sharing here. There's reason for this. Because I've got to work for you to do that you can't do through human strength. And if you try to do this work I have for you to do in human strength, you are going to fail. You're going to make religion, dead religion, and you're not going to do what I want. I have a work for you to do. I have a work for every believer to do, every one of you. The 500 out there, you saw me ascend, I got a work for you to do. The 120 that went to the upper room, I've got a work for you to do. I don't got a work for some. I don't have a work for a few. I have a work for every one of you. And the only way you can do that work is you have to do that work through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way that can be done. And if we try to do God's work, man's way, we are going to fail. We're going to make dead religion. We're going to make all kinds of junk out of it rather than do what we were created to do and find in the work he calls us to do joy. You understand? That's what it was in the beginning. That's what he created to be, that this work would be joy. That it would be this joyful thing in us, that it would be the pleasure to do it. And yet so many times, what do Christians think about laboring in the vineyard for the, for the souls of people? We think it's some drudgery. We think it's so hard. i got to go do it. i got to go to Meadowview. i got to go here. i got to do it. What? i got to be involved in this. I'd rather sit down and be consumed with absolutely worthless entertainment. Because I don't want to work. I don't want to work. And because of that rebelliousness in us, with what little work we do within the spiritual realm, it is a burden rather than a joy. Because we've got such a wrong view of it, wrong understanding of what it is that he's calling us to, of what the privilege is that we could spend ourselves for his glory, the privilege of laboring for him, of giving ourselves away. But he made it so clear, don't go out, don't do any ministry. Don't go and preach. Don't go and help the poor. Don't go do anything. You go and you tarry till you get power. What a lesson. Because he's trying to instill in them, I've got work to do. And I want you to pick up the work that I started 
I taught you how to do it. I modeled it before you for three and a half years. I went and empowered you and gave you my authority at various times so you could go out and do it yourself so you'd understand what you were being prepared for. And you know what? When they came back, when he sent the 12 back, they came back. And when he sent the 70 out, they came back. Both of them, when they came back, they were filled with joy over the work. Because they didn't work in the strength of man. They didn't work just through labor of self. They worked through the power of God, and they saw miracles. They saw God do things. There was joy in it as a result of that. It doesn't mean that the ministry is all fun. I'll tell you what. You want to see the struggles of it? You can talk to Pastor Jeff. You can talk to me. We've been in ministry. Enough. I've been in ministry, full-time ministry, for over 40 years. I've got a few stories of pain and suffering, okay? But I'll tell you what. I would not trade it for anything. For anything. When I was pastoring in the streets of Detroit, we were starting to reach this one bike gang called the Iron Coffins. Just they weren't the they weren't the cutesy little club where you get all these old guys that want to get their Harleys and drive around and you know have these colors that are just you know they think they're cool or whatever. I don't know. You know this was the bad boys. This was the real thing. This was like Hell's Angels. And some of them were getting, getting saved. I sat down with Fat Bob. He was the, the president of the club and, and, and shared the gospel with him. And, and uh, you know, almost, he was almost there. Just, you know, but just all the bondage. We got this one guy that came. And uh, he'd been in so many gangs. I don't know what other gangs he'd been in, but he's been, he, he was in gangs since he was a young boy. And they called him Mex and Marty. When that man came to Jesus, I never saw a face change so radically. So radically. I mean, this face of oppression and just pain and all that instantly have a glow and joy come upon it. And do you know what? All the struggles, all the trials, all the, the, the difficulties in pastoring was wiped away in a moment looking at that face. Seeing that face, joy. You understand the joy in the ministry that he calls to. There's a work to do that there is joy. Is there going to be sorrows and tears and hard times? Yes, there is. But there will be joy that will outstrip it all. That will be greater than all the pain and sorrow when you look at the reality of what God does in transforming lives. And so I baptize you in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist is prophesying. He says, I baptize you in water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What a phenomenal thing. We don't understand how radical that statement was. We don't understand how radical that was. That he's prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit and a fire to be in the people. That he wanted a fire in them, the Holy Ghost and fire. Because they're supposed to go hand in hand. And if we don't got the fire, then uh, maybe we got the initial baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but we did nothing with it, so there's nothing burning in us. And I'm sorry to say there's a lot of people that can speak with tongues that are spiritually dead. That's not the fault of the gift. That's the fault that they've done nothing with it. That's the fault that they didn't apply it to their life and they didn't let it produce a fire. They didn't develop it. They didn't press in. They didn't keep crying out. They didn't, they didn't use the gift to draw near to Jesus because it's in the place of relationship with Jesus where the power is. It's in that relationship with him. It's not in tongues, but it's in the relationship he calls us into 
And that prayer language is part of it. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost on the second day of my salvation. And I'm so glad I have not known what is not to have that gift. When it's hard, it's a wonderful gift. When life is difficult, man, it's wonderful to pray and you don't even know what to pray because you're hurting. When you're filled with joy, it's wonderful to be filled with joy. And you, you are just proclaiming the praise of God in a joyful heart. I mean, an intercession in all the various ways, the expressions of that gift. But it's about the relationship. It's about the relationship because that's where the power comes from, the nearness with it. And anything that I can get out of my life to help me to get closer to Jesus, it should be something I'm pursuing. And anything that I can put into it, I should be pursuing as well. Now, there's something here I think that is so important because, you know, Jesus, he told us to seek it multiple, multiple times. And you know what? You know, I'm going to be just maybe oversimplistic here, maybe even foolish, but uh, I just happen to believe that Jesus is the greatest authority there is, and if he told me to do something, I should do it. And I shouldn't have to go any other place. What he said should be enough, right? I mean, I think that's pretty convincing proof. He said, you need this? Okay. But what do people do all the time? He says, well, what about over here? It says this. And they don't understand what he said. But Jesus said, well, I don't want to really, what about this? Or what about that? And they look for all the excuses to try and not become a person that God is calling them to do, to operate under the power of the Spirit of God. So they make excuses for it. They have their doctrinal arguments. They have all the junk that's there. And yet Jesus says, okay, tarry till you get the power. Well, I don't want to do that because my church doctrine doesn't say that. Well, too bad. Jesus said it. Okay, I think he trumps church doctrine. Okay, I think he's a little bit more important and a little greater than our church doctrine, right? And if our church doctrine doesn't line up, then what are we to be defined by? And that may sound foolish, but I think it's a really good Bible. Jesus said, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So that's like I said, it was just before the ascension. That's what they see. That's what they heard. Okay, you're going to receive power for the work I have for you to do. What is the work? To be a witness in a dying world, a world that is hostile to me. And I want you to go do this work to be a witness that some might be saved. That some might be. But you know what? In the end, the results are not up to us, right? It's not up to us. So he said, go and tarry and get the power. So it is ours to obey. Because in one of the places, I can't remember in Acts, it says that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because of obedience. So because they obeyed, they received it. Why did they receive it? Because they obeyed the command of Jesus to seek after it. And as they sought after it, he came to them and he filled them. So that obedience is so important with receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But so important in the life of a Christian, period. Rebellion is ugly. It's terrible. 
It keeps us from seeing God do what he wants to do in our life. It keeps God from using us. It's all this baggage and pride because behind rebellion is pride. It's just self, all these expressions of self. And it just stops God from working in our life. And we choose then to hold on to our pride and rebelliousness instead of finding this wonderful place of surrender. Because if you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, one of the biggest things about receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is that place of surrender. Okay, God, you said this is for me. I believe it. That's enough. Like Smith Wigglesworth, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I mean, that's some, there again, you got some good theology and you got some phenomenal theology from a man that was not educated. He didn't know how to read. His wife taught him how to read the Bible, and the only book he ever read was the Bible. Any book that is written by him wasn't written by him. They are just sermons that they preached, and they wrote them down. And yet he has this simple theology that made the blind see, the lame walk, and even dead people be raised to life. What do you want? You want some, some PhD, or you want to raise people from the dead? I mean, which one? Come on, really, let's get down to it. Do you want your church doctrine, or do you want to see the power of God working through your life? I'm not against degrees. I got a master's in theology and church history, so it's not that I'm against it. But what happens is it is so easy as you start getting the knowledge, and you trust in the knowledge and not in the power. And that's what Jesus is trying to deal with them. I have a work for you to do. I don't want you to work in the knowledge of the flesh through human means. I want you to do it through the power of Pentecost. So go and tarry till you get the power. Because if you don't do it, you're going to do it all wrong. That's how serious this is. That's what he's calling us to do. We can't do it. But let me take this even in another way. You can't do the work of making a good marriage without the Holy Spirit operating in your marriage. Because without the Spirit of God operating in your marriage, you are not going to be the man you should be or the woman, woman you should be. You need the Spirit of God working in you to become so full of the Spirit of God that the fruit of the Spirit starts being born in your life in a greater way and it is being reflected through you. It's coming through you to your spouse. Serious stuff, isn't it? That's really what it's about. He's wanting to transform us. And so what does he do? He's wanting to give us this phenomenal gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we might have the potential to live in the fullness of God. Because we have it doesn't mean we're in the fullness. It just means the potential's there. We have to cultivate that gift. We have to seek after it, after, after the Spirit of God, after we receive it. We have to use a gift of a heavenly language that we begin to seek after him and just want to do what he wants us to do because there's something that's so important about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It does basically uh, three things that if we look at this, it's power for consecration, power for holiness. You go into old Pentecostals, man, they focus on this big time. The aspect, you get the Holy Ghost, you should get holy. And if you're not holy, then something's wrong with you and the Holy Ghost. There's something broken between you, and you need to get that relationship right because it's broken. You understand, holiness comes out of the Holy Spirit working in the life, and we should become more holy as Pentecostals walking in the power of Pentecost. And if we're not, there's something terribly wrong with our theology. Terribly wrong. Because if I'm going to have the fullness of God in my life, the manifestation of it is going to be the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. Put that in your marriage, and you got a revolution going on in your marriage. Right? 
I mean, that's just, that's the reality. I'm talking about this is some simple stuff, but it's the reality of what we can have God doing in us if we would but let him, if we allow him to break in. The second thing is he's offering us power to be a witness. Power to be a witness. The, the ability to go out there and witness through the anointing of the Spirit of God because I cannot change a person. I don't have the ability. My sermons can't pre change anybody. My witnessing can't change any people. Not even my life unless the anointing of the Spirit of God is there. It's only when the Spirit of God is there does there become power in any of that. Because when the Spirit of God is behind it, then there's anointing in the witnessing. There's anointing in the preaching. There's anointing even in the next thing, the third thing, which is serving. Here's an interesting thing. So the apostles and church got together and they had this need that rose up with widows. And what was happening, the Grecian widows were being neglected because those widows that were Hebrew, or let's say born in Israel, were looked upon more favorably than those who were Jews that were born outside of Israel. A little bit of prejudice is what it was, had crept into the church, all right? So what was going to be the answer? The apostles were going to deal with it because they're saying we can't deal with this because we're to give ourselves to prayer and fasting and the preaching of the word. So we are going to raise up seven men to do this. And here's the criteria for the men that was needed to do this particular work of caring for the widows. Okay, here's the criteria. Here's the criteria. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. He didn't say, give us those who are educated in business that they can run this like a business, and they can figure out how to get all the funds in here to take care of these widows. He says, give us men that are full of the Holy Ghost. Give us men that have a fire burning inside of them, and we know this work will be done right because it will be done God's way and not man's way. It won't be done by the wisdom of man. It will be done by the Spirit of God in a way that is going to really make a difference in these women. What would that do if more of us were defined by that? Now, I hate to say it. I mean, I've, I've pastored four churches, so I'm, I'm going to speak from experience. Most boards are nightmares. <laughs> I mean, they're just... You know, you put people in positions, and instead of being full of the whole Holy Ghost, they're full of the flesh. And they're a nightmare. I tell you what, I've had some nightmare board members. You know, because, you know, you come into a church, if it's an existing church, you come in and the, and the church polity's there, and you have to deal with what's there. And, man, some nightmares. People just full of the flesh, full of sin, and just junk. And instead of working and, man of, and, and, and taking the work of God and moving it forward, you're having the battle people that claim to be Christian are so full of the flesh. What, was, what were deacons supposed to be? Men full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. What was Stephen called? He was a man. The testimony of Stephen was he was a man that was full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, full of power, and full of grace. Man, that's revolutionary. Get to church, get people full of those five things, and we're going to be turning the world upside down. God does wonders through it. And this man was so dangerous, the devil wanted him dead. And he became the first martyr. And so God wants to do something so much more in our lives. And so God wants to bring us to the place of faith to believe. 
to believe. We can't operate in faith in what we don't know. So we have to know. We have to come to knowledge. We have something has to come to us. And there's accounts where people didn't even, and you know, Brian brought that out, where people didn't even know that the Holy Spirit existed. So they had to have the knowledge to come to them that they could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were in a place of salvation, but they didn't even know that the Holy Spirit existed, that they should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the knowledge came, you look at the surrender. They believed. They accepted it. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But yet for us to benefit from the word of God, we must be sensitive and receptive to it. We must say amen to the word and not go and say, well, that doesn't fit my little ideas that I have. Well, it's not about whether it fits your little ideas. What does the word of God teach? And we should come to the places just like Smith Wigglesworth. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Good saying, right? Really good saying. Easy one to memorize, right? And just how much we need to put that into practice. And so God wants to fill people. He wants to deal with deficiencies in your faith, deficiencies in your spiritual life, deficiencies in your marriage, deficiencies in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as you have it because you're not operating in it like you should. You've been given the gift, but you're doing nothing with it. He's wanting to touch you at a point of need. And so we're going to have a time up here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to begin to pray for people and pray for people for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But we're up here to pray for whatever the needs are. You need a fresh and filling. Then you come up and you seek it. You need, you need, you need some direction, God. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Okay, I, I have heard all that's going on. I'm to do something. God, what am I supposed to do? What's the direction? You're not calling me just to work a job. You're calling me to pick up the work of ministry that is defined the secular job I may do. And if the work of ministry isn't defining your secular job, then you're approaching secular work totally, uh, totally wrong. You're not understanding that secular work is to be a mission field. You're just turning it as an occupation. He's called us to something greater, to something eternal, to something that is changing lives forever. And for every soul that we lead to the foot of the cross, hell has lost another resident. You understand? That's serious stuff. That's serious. Because a million years from now, they'll be there and not in hell. And we should be wanting to see so many people rescued that our life is consumed with this passion to see people brought to Jesus because eternity is at stake for billions, billions of people. And that kind of numbers we can't even get our mind around. Father, we come before you now in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for faith to rise up. Lord, you've got a work for us to do, and we cannot do it in the flesh. We cannot do it in the natural. We can't do it through human strength or human wisdom. You are calling us to something supernatural. You're calling us something that is beyond ourselves, that it takes an infinite God to be our helper in. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, even as, even as Brian read the verse there, that he is our helper. He is our helper in every dimension to help us to be what we should be, to do what we should do, to live like we should, to love like we should. You are our helper, Holy Spirit, that we can be the men and women of God you want us to be, and you want 
us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit that we might operate in that power and that we might through that power become men and women that are dangerous in this world that hell trembles before. We have been a tame people, dear God. Forgive us for the tameness of the church in America. We have been tame, pathetic, oh God. When you want us to be people that are dangerous and hell trembles before, God, Peter had this time, and I won't say it was his all of his ministry, but there was a time where the anointing rested on him so much that as he walked along, his shadow healed people. I'll tell you what, hell feared that man walking anywhere. God, may you do something like that in us. May you raise us up to be people of such dynamic faith that we believe the promises, that we stop the games and, the, and leading, uh, listening to the lies of unbelief and begin to say, God, it's time to become men and women of faith that believe, that choose to believe. Lord, that we will rise up against every lie, every expression of unbelief, and we begin to choose to believe and cry for the help to believe better because that comes alone through your grace. It's not self-determination that makes us great people of faith. It is grace changing how we think to believe well, to believe right. Lord, that we might believe the supernatural, that we might believe you are who you said you are and will do what you said you'll do.